Section 21 of Secrets of the Woods. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Secrets of the Woods by William J. Long. Section 21. Snowbound. Part 2. There were no deer paths here, for the hardwood browse upon which deer depend for food grew mostly on the other sides of the ridge. That the chase should turn this way, out of the yard's limits, showed the dog's cunning, and that they were not new at their evil business. They had divided their forces again, as they had undoubtedly done when hunting the poor doe whose body I had just found. Part of the pack hunted down the ridge in full cry, while the rest lay in wait to spring at the flying game as it came on, and drive it out of the pass into the deep snow, where it would speedily be at their mercy. At the thought I gripped the club hard, promising to stop that kind of hunting for good, if only I could get half a chance. Presently, above the scrape of my snowshoes, I heard the deer coming, crunch, crunch, the heavy plunges growing shorter and fainter, while behind the sounds an eager whining trail cry grew into a fierce howl of canine exultation. Something was telling me to hurry, hurry, that the big buck I had so often hunted was in my power at last, and that, if I would square accounts, I must beat the dogs, though they were nearer to him now than I. The excitement of a new kind of hunt, a hunt to save, not to kill, was tingling all over me when I circled a dense thicket of furs with a rush, and there he lay, up to his shoulders in the snow before me. He had taken his last jump. The splendid strength which had carried him so far was spent now to the last ounce. He lay resting easily in the snow, his head outstretched on the crust before him, awaiting the tragedy that had followed him for years, by lake and clearing and winter yard, and that burst out behind him now with a cry to make one nerve shudder. The glory of his antlers was gone. He had dropped them months before. But the mighty shoulders and sinewy neck and perfect head showed how well, how grandly he had deserved my hunting. He threw up his head as I burst out upon him from an utterly unexpected quarter, the very thing that I had so often tried to do in vain in the old glorious days. Hast thou found me, O mine enemy? Well, here am I. That is what his eyes, great, sad, accusing eyes, were saying as he laid his head down on the snow again, quiet as an Indian at the torture, too proud to struggle, where nothing was to be gained but pity or derision. A strange, uncanny silence had settled over the woods. Wolf seized their cry in the last swift burst of speed that will bring the game in sight. Then the dogs broke out of the cover behind him with a fiercer howl that was too much for even his nerves to stand. Nothing on earth could have met such a death unmoved. No ears, however trained, could hear that fierce cry for blood without turning to meet it face to face. With a mighty effort, the buck whirled in the snow and gathered himself for the tragedy. Far ahead of the pack came a small, swift bulldog that, with no nose of his own for hunting, had followed the pirate leader for mere love of killing. As he jumped for the throat, the buck, with his last strength, reared on his hind legs, so as to get his four feet clear of the snow, and plunged down again with a hard, swift saber cut of his right hoof. It caught the dog on the neck as he rose on the spring and ripped him from ear to tail. Deer and dog came down together. Then the buck rose swiftly for his last blow, and the knife-edged hoof shot down like lightning, one straight hard drive with the crushing force of a ten-ton hammer behind it. 
and his first enemy was out of the hunt forever. Before he had time to gather himself again, the big yellow brindle, with the hound's blood showing in nose and ears, old Wally's dog leaped into sight. His whining trail cry changed to a fierce growl as he sprang for the buck's nose. I had waited for just this moment in hiding, and jumped to meet it. The club came down between the two heads, and there was no reserve this time in the muscles that swung it. It caught the brute fair on the head, where the nose begins to come up into the skull, and he too had harried his last deer. Two other curs had leaped aside with quick instinct the moment they saw me, and vanished into the thickets, as if conscious of their evil doing and anxious to avoid detection. But the third, a large collie, a dog that, when he does go wrong, becomes the most cunning and vicious of brutes, flew straight at my throat with a snarl like a grey wolf cheated of his killing. I have faced bear and panther and bull moose when the red danger light blazed into their eyes, but never before or since have I seen such awful fury in a brute's face. It swept over me in an instant that it was his life or mine. There was no question or alternative. A lucky cut of the club disabled him, and I finished the job on the spot, for the good of deer and community. The big buck had not moved, nor tried to after his last great effort. Now he only turned his head and lifted it wearily, as if to get away from the intolerable smell of his dog enemies that lay dying under his very nose. His great, sorrowful, questioning eyes were turned on me continually, with a look that only innocence could possibly meet. No man on earth, I think, could have looked into them for a full moment and then raised his hand to slay. I approached very quietly and dragged the dogs away from him, one by one. His eyes followed me always. His nostrils spread. His head came up with a start when I flung the first cur aside to leeward. But he made no motion. Only his eyes had a wonderful light in them when I dragged his last enemy, the one he had killed himself, from under his very head and threw it after the others. Then I sat down quietly in the snow, and we were face to face at last. He feared me. I could hardly expect otherwise, while a deer has memory. But he lay perfectly still, his head extended on the snow, his sides heaving. After a little while he made a few bounds forward, at right angles to the course he had been running, with marvelous instinct remembering the nearest point in the many paths out of which the pack had driven him. But he stopped and lay quiet at the first sound of my snowshoes behind him, the chase law holds, you have caught me, I am yours. This is what his sad eyes were saying. And sitting down quietly near him again, I tried to reassure him. You are safe. Take your own time. No dog shall harm you now. That is what I tried to make him feel by the very power of my own feeling, never more strongly roused than now for any wild creature. I whistled a little tune softly, which always rouses the woods folk's curiosity, but as he lay quiet, listening, his ears shot back and forth nervously at a score of sounds that I could not hear, as if above the music he caught faint echoes of the last fearful chase. Then I brought out my lunch, and, nibbling a bit myself, pushed a slice of black bread over the crust towards him with a long stick. It was curious and intensely interesting to watch the struggle. At first he pulled away, as if I would poison him. 
Then a new, rich odor began to steal up into his hungry nostrils. For weeks, he had not fed full. He had been running hard since daylight and was faint and exhausted. And in all his life, he had never smelt anything so good. He turned his head to question me with his eyes. Slowly his nose came down, searching for the bread. If he would only eat, that is a truth which I would never break. I kept thinking over and over, and stopped eating in my eagerness to have him share with me the hunter's crust. His nose touched it. Then through his hunger came the smell of the man, the danger smell that had followed him day after day in the beautiful October woods, and over white winter trails when he fled for his life, and still the man followed. The remembrance was too much. He raised his head with an effort and bounded away. I followed slowly, keeping well out to one side of his trail and sitting quietly within sight whenever he rested in the snow. Wild animals soon lose their fear in the presence of man if one avoids all excitement, even of interest, and is quiet in his motions. His fear was gone now, but the old wild freedom and the intense desire for life a life which he had resigned when I appeared suddenly before him and the pack broke out behind, were coming back with renewed force. His bounds grew longer, firmer, his stops less frequent, till he broke at last into a deer path and shook himself, as if to throw off all memory of the experience. From a thicket of fir, a doe, that had been listening and hiding to the sounds of his coming and to the faint unknown click, which was the voice of my snowshoes, came out to meet him. Together they trotted down the path, turning often to look and listen, and vanished at last like grey shadows into the grey stillness of the March woods. End of section 21 End of Secrets of the Woods by William J. Long